Kawhi up top. Looks at the clock. Turns the corner for the win. No matter what language, whether it was Matt Devlin on the broadcast in Canada or Turkish or Korean or Spanish or TNT's call, it sounded beautiful. It was a beautiful struggle, but they got there. 2001 Eastern Conference Finals, May 20th, Game 7. You know how that ended, the graduation shot. This was the redemption shot. I am here, Donovan Ben, in free association once again. Danielle Michaud was in the building. I'm tired. Yeah, I think we all are. JD Bunkus she looked is, like your prisoner JD, when you pushed her into the studio today. Like, I've never seen anyone more reluctant to do a podcast than Danielle Michaud. I have one. nothing yeah. left to give. I'm so emotionally yeah. spent. Well, and you just you just taped an about last night where I there did. were so many things to talk about last night. J.D. Bunkus' emotions were certainly in the building, although he wasn't physically there. And then Arden Zwelling was covering it for us in the building. And I want to start with you, Arden, because you've covered that shot and the bat flip. And for me... They are similar moments, but which one was more epic? You might not like this answer. I really don't care. Bat flip. Because? The atmosphere. We're you, talking really? 50,000 versus 20,000, first of all. So we're talking about more than twice the amount of people, and when you get up to those tens of thousands, like it makes a difference. Bat flip was a situation where if it didn't play out like that, there was going to be a riot. We were thinking, like, how are we getting out of this building Alive. right now? Like, the cars are going to flip. People are pelting the field with full cans of beer right now. Like, just the emotion of that situation. And also, and this is, like, a hard thing to generalize about, but just, mm -hmm. like, the type of people who were there. It was a much more <laughs> blue-collar atmosphere. I'm being honest with you. I walked around that 100-level concourse yesterday right before oh. the game. It is a pretty white-collar thing at the Scotiabank Arena right now. It's fancy. That's what it is. So I think that just the emotion, everything that happened in that moment, honestly, it's probably harder for Jose Bautista to hit a home run in that moment than it is for Kawhi Leonard to hit that shot. 
for a lot of reasons. I think Bat Flip was bigger. I have to say, I was in the crowd as a fan versus as a member of the media yesterday, and I feel the atmosphere, it was concentrated. It wasn't as big, but when he hit and it went in, everyone held their breath for what felt like 45 seconds. It was the mm. longest bouncing around moment. It was a slow motion scenario, and when it finally went in, I almost got slugged by the guy beside me. The one behind me was like grabbing my shoulders and shaking me. I've never had that reaction before, and I felt like everyone was so invested. It felt like the best scenario at a Raptors game I've ever experienced, for sure. When you're in public for a massive sporting moment, the rules of like physical contact yeah, go out over. the window. Whoever's within your direct vicinity, you're allowed to basically maul. <laughs> like, that's completely correct. I'm not big on what's better. Because I think it's subjective, and I think that there's all kinds of different things that go into it for all kinds of different people. But I will say this. I think they're synonymous now. I think that when you talk to Toronto sports fans, you will be able to say the bat flip. And that's my question. Is What are we calling this? Is it the rim bounce? I like the rim bounce, personally. That's what I would be pitching. It can't be the shot. The no. shot is just too generic. Is there another name that we like? What are we calling this thing? To me, it's the redemption shot. If yeah, Vince is it, the it graduation is. shot, to me, this was redeeming not only those ghosts, but also redeeming anyone who ever had an issue with them making the trade in the first place. Anyone who had an issue with load management all mm -hmm. year. There were so many things that felt right after that ball bounced for the fourth time and went in. The interesting thing in comparison to the bat flip, we forget about Edwin Encarnacion's wild card walk off. Like yeah. that was yeah. a better single moment. Well, I was the only one I was there for, so it was a special <laughs> one for me. Right, Arden. To your point, that inning and how it built and built and built made the bat flip alone crazy. But last night it was a zero sum game. You knew Kawhi was going to take a shot. You knew it was going to go in or out. You knew it was going to be overtime or the series was going to be over. Baseball, you had no idea he was going to make contact. It was going to leave the ballpark. That he was going to throw his bat in the air. But it's a good point. Moving forward, everything that hinges on that ball bouncing for the fourth time and going in is why I think it's legendary because it changes the fortunes potentially of the Sixers, changes yeah. certainly the way we view this Raptors season. They get swept by the Bucks, and there will be some Raptors fans that will be like, oh, uh, okay. How many times have you guys watched the rim bounce now? I'm calling it that. Countless. Yeah, a million times. Yeah. And, and just like the bat flip, I spent all morning just like looking for every fan camera. There's so many good every, faces, yeah, right? And, and so many good photos. There's so many good photos. There's so many good videos that were taken on cell phones. Like, I'm a live-in-the-moment person. I, I don't take the phone out a lot. It comes with pros and cons, because there's a lot of times like... I get home and I wish to myself the next day that I had memories of something. And thank God there were so many people there that were not like me <laughs> and that took those videos because they were awesome. And I watched it countless, countless, countless times. That first bounce on the rim, every time I see it, I'm like, how the hell did that go he in? hit front rim it's front and it rim still and went it in? Like, it almost defies the laws of physics. It's, it's like, if you told me Kawhi is like a little magic, like 0.1% magic, I would say, all right, like I'll buy that. I'll, I'll take it. So I, I don't was, know how that went in. I thought I was going in all the way. Did you? Like, I, and wow. I'm, that's I'm, your style, though. You're I'm, like, that's it. Well, so did so yeah. Brett Brown, apparently, <laughs> who said post game he yeah. thought it was going yeah. in. I thought it was in all the way because I've seen Kawhi hit that shot so many times. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've seen him do it in practice. I saw him beat Portland on that shot in March. Look it up. He beats Portland on that exact shot. I've just seen it before. I had the utmost confidence that that ball was going in. 117, 117. Raptors have an opportunity here. Leonard driving for the win. Got it! Kawhi Leonard! And the Toronto Raptors will come away with a victory. 119 
two shots in his face. Oh. Well, the biggest shots in the series are both over Joel Embiid, Kawhi Leonard, and well, his gotta, face. I mean, no the, wonder he cried. The, it makes the, it even the sweeter that he's right there, though, right? Too oh, by all oh, those yeah. photos, like the, oh, watching, yes. and you can see the fear. He knew it was going in. I you feel know what like. was my second most interested thing in that was seeing how OG and Anobi reacted because I was like, are we going to have a moment where OG and Anobi and Kawhi Leonard are showing a ton Negative. of emotion? I feel like too OG much. Did I, I know. I tried. Like OG kind of gets. I think he was afraid. You know when you're hurt. And something like that happens that you have that consciousness of, oh my God, I'm going to get mobbed. I think OG was living in that moment. Like someone's going to hit me and this is going to open up my stitches. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Lin's reaction, just bouncing up and down like a little kid was amazing. Yep. Gasol basically not going to the scrum, just putting yep. his hands on his head. Like, how did this happen? But then also call me like a sap. I loved his moment with him. Oh, Embiid. so did I. I. Like the respect between warriors and one of the warriors was literally crying and he was kind of consoling him. I thought like both guys who put so much into the series and he didn't have a great shooting night, but Gasol was really good once again defensively last night. But before we get into all that, we still have to break down quite because we talked about the shot, but we have to talk about the performance. 41 points, eight rebounds, three steals, and the first guy ever now to hit a game seven buzzer beater, which when I saw that stat come out, I was like, is that correct? In NBA history, no one has hit a game seven buzzer beater. What is the parameter of a buzzer beater, though? Like the clock has to be like the buzzer's expiring. going. It's the buzzer's yeah. going as the ball. There's like, no more play after the ball yeah. goes in the net okay. and you win the game. Yeah, because like clearly we've seen shots where there's like a couple seconds left on the clock. Yeah. So this is the yeah. only one as time fully expired, is what we're saying. Game sevens is a small sample. Yeah, too, yeah that's true too. Right when they were saying, "Oh, well, LeBron never did this in game seven. Kobe never did this yeah, in game seven. They didn't have game seven. How They're many sweeping. did they play? Yeah. Right? LeBron's like, I had the Raptors yeah. to just it was <laughs> Chance. <laughs> yeah, but the history of the NBA is a big sample, though. Yes. And we've seen two buzzer beaters this week. Dame Lillard, the end of the last week, I should say, hits one that you can at me. It was tougher than Kawhi's. Yeah. It's deeper, yeah. no, but shooting it off balance over Joel Embiid, it's further, but he's got his feet set, and he knows that's the shot. He did an escape dribble to the side yeah. with Paul George guarding him. No, I know, but Paul George is sagging off until the last... Like, Paul George gave him just enough space. I don't if, know. If we I'm gave, just saying I don't know. If we gave both guys... 10 shots from each spot. Who hits more? That's interesting. Kawhi. I, I think it's close. No, it's the, not. The exact same, the exact same no, scenario no, over Kawhi. Joel Embiid. That ball barely gets over Joel Embiid. Arden led by saying he's seen him hit that shot. Before. I know, but yeah. Kawhi practices you saw him practice that. it with Joel Embiid stretching out no, like, right over top of him. Joel no, didn't make that's it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But, but he practices that shot He's like, Joel, come over here. I, I need to run something. <laughs> no, but he says, some. Jamal McGlure, come over yeah. here. <laughs> Jamal McGlure. I've seen Jamal McGlure. He just <laughs> Yeah, stands. there's not much of a hand <laughs> yeah, up. It's like a very lazy... Jamal McGlure, not as springy as Joel. Don't disrespect No, I'm not going to. It was awesome. Both shots are incredible. It's been an awesome, awesome... Can I put my hand up and admit one thing about Kawhi? I was mad at him for like a good little chunk of that game. Played like DeMar DeRozan through three quarters. Yeah, Correct. There was like a long period of time where he was... Forcing his offense. And granted, the other Raptors were playing hot potato. And Kyle Lowry's no passing up shots. Gasol stayed confident throughout most of the game. But even still, he's not like a trigger-happy shoot-first guy. Somehow, Danny Green only had three shots in that game. And only had one three-point three, attempt. Crazy. And only one three-point attempt, which was off of a broken play. There yes. was nothing drawn up for him. I'm yeah. watching J.J. Redick run circles around the Raptors. And they're freeing him open for deep shots. And they can't get anything going. And Siakam, again, just completely obliterated by the presence of Joel Embiid. Like, he's just, he's not comfortable in his game going to the basket when Embiid's around. So I don't blame Kawhi because I think he assessed the situation was like, oh, these guys don't have it again. I got to do this all myself. But there were some shots where you were like, even though you're the superstar, this is a bad shot. 
This is another bad shot. That's a bad turnover. It was a lot of field goal attempts. It was like more than Kobe has had in a playoff game. Was it the Raptors not having it that brought about Kawhi doing that? I don't know. Or was it Kawhi doing that that brought about the Raptors not having it? It, right? it the ends, the ends justify the means. I can't get all over Danny Green for his three-point attempts yeah. when Kawhi takes 39 shots. For sure. And when the offense looks a lot of the time, like give Kawhi the ball and get the yeah. hell out of the way. There is not a lot of spacing on a lot of those possessions. But I, I think it is chicken-egg in the sense that Kawhi looked around and said, other than the first half, Siakam seems yeah. shook. The only other player I'm playing with that looks to want to shoot is Serge Ibaka. Yeah. Nobody else is looking to shoot. Everyone is passing down shots. Big Dude. game surge. Dude, Big game surge. Huge game for Serge. The, the best part about that is Donovan and I have had a million conversations about Serge is at his worst when he's doing too much. And like he has this irrational confidence about his shot that you kind of hate. And in this game where no Raptor has it and no Raptor wants to shoot, who would have thought that the Serge Ibaka irrational confidence slash willingness to shoot the basketball when given space would actually be the, the savior for the Raptors? 17 that, points, most off the bench in the series for a Raptor. Heat check threes he was taking. But to me, the big thing was not even what he did offensively, what he did on the boards. Yeah, yep. They had 16 offensive rebounds. He had four alone, more than the Sixers combined. He was a menace, both defensively playing with Gasol and on the glass. I wrote about it after. I did not think coming into Game 7 that I was going to write a Serge Ibaka piece off of this game, and that's what I ended up doing. And like, yeah, on the boards, the offensive glass, the aggressiveness coming out of nowhere. And to be fair, Joel Embiid was pretty gassed and not doing a great job of boxing out, but Serge Ibaka still wanted those rebounds that he went and got. And look at the pull-up three that he hits in the corner at one point with like a swing through, a move I've never seen him pull before. Yeah, yeah he does not practice that shot. That shot no. is not practiced. <laughs> it felt like, again, it was a situation where a lot went wrong besides their defensive play. Yes. And you're going, there's still so much ceiling to see. Like, yes, they won, and it was an epic moment, but like, they played so poorly. It should have been... 30 to 2 in the first quarter yeah. if they'd hit anything mm -hmm. and you're going when are they going to start dropping like what was their three point percentage in the first half was it like 8 17 percent they yeah, missed their first it nine was, and then surge yeah. hit two it was so bad surge also hit shots in I, I know in a tight game they all feel especially critical but his first three i think broke up a sixers 8-0 run where the Sixers look like they're finally getting... Remember, the Raptors had a bit of a lead, and it just disappears. They take the lead for the first time in the game. Serge comes out, knocks that first one down from the wing. And then later in the game, what was it? It was like a 16-0 run as well yeah, for the Sixers, where, where the Sixers look like they're just going to take over the basketball game, and you can feel it. Like You can feel that energy of, oh my God, you knew it just took one run in a tight ball game from one of these teams to get away with it, and this is going to be it. And again, Serge Ibaka with big buckets, big threes... And a follow-up that wasn't really him on the, when he just did that one layup late in the game. That's not as much of a surge play. But either way, like he was just on the floor for big, big, big shots when they really needed someone to hit one when it really felt like the game was running away from them. That 16-0 run, yeah. the energy was sucked out of Ugh. the building. Like I was going, how are they going to, to get back the crowd? Four minutes it, without a field goal. Right? I was worried that I was going to see Philly just pull away and the game, like where it's done, it's over. Because it felt like there was just no energy all of a sudden. The funny thing is, I would not think coming into this series that the Raptors were going to win by playing big against the 76ers. A team that JJ Redick is the shortest starter with Tobias Harris after the trade. They're a big team. The first four games of the series, we said the length has been a menace. They stole some minutes with Kawhi Leonard on the bench playing two bigs 
and two guards in Kyle and Fred, Fred. Super small and super big with Siakam in the middle. That was a good lineup for them. But they closed with Ibaka and Gasol. And the fact that Philly has five centers on their roster, they can only really play one of them. Embiid had 99 minutes. You counting Ben Simmons? Wow. Their point guard is 6'10". He was in the dunker spot know, for most of the clutch. I feel minutes. like he counts as a center. Embiid rested 99 minutes of the series. The Raptors outscored the Sixers in those minutes by 109 yeah. points. They had to play Greg Monroe for less than two minutes. He was a minus nine. You thought you didn't think you were going to be writing about Serge Ibaka as having a podium game? I didn't think I was going to be talking about the fact that the Raptors outbigged the 76ers to win the series. Serge didn't even get on the podium after that performance. Which, was a, which is a what, what a disgrace. But the adjustment of the series was yep. Nick Nurse going big in game four. And part of it was by necessity because Pascal Siakam was hurt. And as uh, JD was saying, was kind of taken out of that series a bit by Embiid. But going big to Gasol and Ibaka and the way that those two guys figured it out quickly. I know people talk about like Spanish team experience. Yeah, and that, that keeps these, getting brought up. These guys haven't played a lot together, man. No. They just haven't. And especially not recently as their games have evolved. So I was even talking to Serge about it last night. And he's telling me about the film study these guys are doing after every game and about how they're breaking down every possession and trying to figure out how they can be better. In the end, I mean, in the minutes that those two guys were on the floor together, the Raptors 5.9 net rating. They won those minutes by 17. That's a big turning point in that series. There's so much to that. Not only was it smart for Nick Nurse to do it, even though it was out of necessity, but Abaka is a confidence player. And you looked at his numbers as a starter versus as a bench player. And clearly a lot of it had to do with playing with Kyle Lowry and Lowry knows where to get him the basketball in that spot for that pick and pop where he likes to shoot that jumper. And that so much of Serge's game, I feel like, translates from when he's knocking down that jump shot and when he's playing effectively on defense. And when he's playing with worse guys, clearly his numbers are going to be worse, but they're sharp. They were a sharp contrast this year when you looked at starting versus bench. Allowing him to have this bigger role just worked. It worked for him. It got him going. It took him out of a slump. And I think you feel really good about going into that series against the Bucks that it can translate because they have a bunch of weapons off the bench. I think they're getting over 30 points a game from their bench. The Raptors, I think, got 16 in that series. That's going to be a bit of a problem. You're going to need secondary scoring. You're going to need secondary defense against their bigs, Lopez, Giannis, Miritich. They throw a lot of bodies at you. So now that you feel a little bit more comfortable having Serge Ibaka and Gasol playing at the same time, I think it gives you so much more lineup flexibility, knowing that the rebounding works, knowing that the defense is not killing you. And the Sixers, another three-point shooting team, with a lot of liabilities out there, they were still able to slow that down in those lineups and not get killed with them. So it was a good move by Nurse. It was great playing by Serge. It shows you how terrific Marcus Gasol is defensively, that having two bigs on the floor like that doesn't just completely hemorrhage you because of what that guy can do. And it gives you confidence moving forward. The other thing is it it gave you a lifeline in the sense that defensively you're forcing them into 17 turnovers. There was a stretch there where there were in three possessions, there were no buckets, two shot clock violations, great defense on the stretch. But it also gave you extra possessions, extra buckets, 12 second chance points. And at the end of the game, the Raptors had 24 more field goal attempts in a game that came down to the last field goal. And it was a two point game. That's a massive, massive discrepancy. I do, though, as we look forward to the next series, don't know how much we're going to see them together. Because, again, Nick Nurse was clear on he's putting guys on the floor based on how they'll guard and they'll figure out the offense after the fact. And often that's just giving the ball to Kawhi. I don't know how you're asking Serge and Gasol to guard the Bucks because in that case, he's either guarding, he being Serge, Giannis, don't like that. Bad. Miritich. Don't like that. 
You know why I like it though? It's because one of the things you really want to do is take away the paint. You really want to take away the rim from Giannis. And I think those two guys are your best two rim protectors. And I think that in a series, we're going to have multiple looks at trying to slow down one of the world's best players. There's going to have to be some times where you just essentially pack the paint and hope that, yeah, you know what? Maybe it's Eric Bledsoe that with his like sub 30% three-point shooting that knocks one down. Because we want to have it inside a big presence guarding against Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, if this was the Bucks last year, I would agree. Yeah. But with Buttonholzer as the coach, and this oh, is the team that, adjustments. That, it's not even about adjustments, how they play. They shoot yeah. more threes than anybody still playing. So you could pack the paint and have threes drop on your head and trade twos the other way. They're willing to make that bet. And so Bledsoe might not be taking the shot, but Middleton might, or Mirtich might, and or Lopez might step out and shoot a three. And so that's why I don't know how much they'll play together. The other issue is, at this point, they're only playing seven guys. Norm Powell did not see a minute in that game. Not a meaningful minute, a minute at all. Now, series is different, it's fresh, and that may change, but as much as I think Serge is going to play another big role, I don't necessarily know if he's going to play with Gasol again, but I also would have never thought he would play with Gasol in this series either, so who knows. Do we see OG in this series? Mm, I hope so. I don't know. Maybe late. I That's... feel like there's been no sort of clear idea of the improvement, right? He did hit the court a little bit, but my, did he do a little bit of working out? So my sense being around the team yeah. is maybe late, but that's a big maybe still. Like I think the most realistic scenario is if they're in the NBA Finals, you could see OG and an OB. But I personally, just being around the team, I'm not expecting to see OG and an OB in this series. But even if it is late, hey, you just jumped off a training table. How about you go guard Giannis yeah. when Kawhi's resting? Mm-hmm. Like right, like it's not yeah. really his role in this series is not something you just want to throw him into. And I think that's really the biggest question in the series is how many minutes are we going to see Kawhi and Giannis matched up in the similar way that we saw Gasol's minutes matched up almost to the decimal point with Joel Embiid's. What do you think, other than Kawhi Leonard's brilliance, is there something that's like lasting with you or sticking with you moving to this other one? Because you mentioned the reset thing, and I've always thought that that was almost a little overplayed that it's hard to all of a sudden anticipate guys to just get going and guys to start playing drastically different than they were around before. That guys don't get more healthy and get more lift as they get deeper into the postseason. So clearly they they leaned heavily on Kawhi, but we also saw how that offense can kind of go against them. We also saw what I thought was Kawhi looking like the first signs of maybe wearing down a little bit in that series. You have to be concerned. Again, that Bucks team is deep. I just... I'm not trying to turn what is a super positive podcast in a super positive moment to a negative one, but do you have a feeling like there's a level of confidence moving forward that you have in a player outside of Kawhi Leonard? Two things going into this series, and I'll get to the player. That'll be my second one. The first one, the Raptors need to make shots. Mm -hmm. It continued in game seven. I can't believe they haven't. It has to draw. They're too good for it to eventually not drop. Man, that first quarter, I thought they blew it. So grisly. For the series, the Raptors hit 32% of their wide-open three-pointers. Mm-hmm. So that's the closest defender is six feet or more away from you, 32%. That can't continue. No. Against the Bucks. the Bucks throw a lot of defensive pressure at you. They double-team a lot. They're going to double-team Kawhi. Looks are going to be there. If Kawhi moves the ball out and if you swing it around, you rotate, the ball is like the shots are going to be there and the Raptors need to hit those shots because they didn't. And that's the nice thing about the reset is they can kind of wipe this series and say, all right, I don't know why our shots weren't falling. I don't know why it wasn't working. They can wipe that and start anew, but that needs to turn big time. Number two, the player, Kyle Lowry. Me too. I don't know how we haven't talked about him yet. 
uh, the he things was he did in Game Seven, which are you won't find on a box score, on a stat sheet, like you won't find them like in most people's columns or articles. The things that he did physically in that game were absolutely critical. They were immense. He had a ninety-second stretch where it was his was best basketball, and he was living his best life. And I've been super critical on Kyle Lowry at the worst of times, at the best of times, all of the times, well, yeah, all, all, all the almost time, all of the time. But one thing I'll say is his playoff numbers are not great. His game seven numbers specifically are outstanding. And to your point, Arden, last night it wasn't even about the numbers. It was about the hustle plays, about the offensive rebound behind the back pass, drawing multiple charges, getting steals off of Embiid. Getting posted up by Joel Embiid, who is like more than a foot and a hundred pounds bigger than him. And Embiid is having to like pass out of that situation. The possession where he had the two offensive rebounds though to keep that alive the hustle that he had on that possession yeah, he's all hard it's go, unbelievable go back, go back to round one his best plays this postseason have been rebounds yeah like yeah. but that shouldn't be plays. a secret because kyle lowry what has made him such a great basketball player throughout his career is that he's not just someone that needs to score in order to be effective he's always been a great rebounder in fact he's been one of the best rebounding point guards in the last decade without a shadow of a doubt He is a good defensive player. He does find those ways to frustrate his opponents by drawing those offensive fouls that he talked about. He is a great distributor of the basketball. He's got incredible basketball IQ. And it's why I was so nervous when he got into foul trouble early. When he went out with those two fouls, I thought this is a disaster. They've missed all these shots, and now Kyle Lowry's going to have to come out of the game. That's why I thought they got just complete point guard play yesterday. That Fred is finally coming out of the yips, and that all the conversation about how he was too small to be in the series, it started to change. Although... His confidence going at Joel Embiid on a fast break, to trying to lay it up over uh, over top of him, is one of the more strange decisions I've I've seen on a basketball court. But either, either way, it ended well, up working out. Kyle actually got yeah. one by him shortly before that, yeah. and you saw so Fred's just Fred like, trying to do he's the same like a pool player. Uh, he's like a pool player. Embiid's not going to miss that block twice, and yeah. he didn't. Fred had a great hustle series, like terrible shooting series, offensively bad, defensively half the time he's really good, and half the time actually was really bad. Mm-hmm. Great hustle series. Like there are a number of times if you go back and watch the film, you're going to see him poking the ball out, or you know you're going to see him like making a really good defensive read getting after something tough to me to give a lot of credit for that though because when you're like six feet tall and in the nba and you're not shooting the ball well it's like you better do something bro what are we providing here (laughs) you better try i think that's good and he was almost played out of the series at one point right i I thought he was i thought jeremy lynn was going to steal his minutes or norm powell straight up and he had a big steal that was kyle lowry-esque in that game seven big momentum moment so move forward and look at the bucks bucks won the season series three to one two of those three wins were by double digits they obviously scored more points. They shot a better percentage by five from the floor, by five from three. But Giannis specifically, 27, 15, and five is what he averaged against the Raptors. He's been resting for a minute, and against the Celtics, he went for 28, 10, and five. I normally say in the NBA in a seven-game series, just give me the team who has the better player because over that sample size, that talent rises to the top, you'll win. Happened for the Raptors in round one. Certainly happened for the Raptors in round two. I don't know if the Raptors have the best player in the series. Do they? I don't know if they have the best player, but they certainly have one who's close. It's honestly borderline negatable. So you are picking teams at Rucker Park. Well, I think that the biggest point that I'm afraid of right now is not those two guys. It's that the Bucks right now are running 10 deep with effective players. And they just got Malcolm Brogdon back and they're mixing him into it. And they just... They have the star player, and they have something the Raptors used to have, which is that incredible lineup flexibility where you just have so many guys down your roster that you can find a different guy on a different night. And that's why this series, to me, I almost feel like you're going to be able to wash those two guys out. 
The big question mark to me is going to be Pascal Siakam versus Middleton as number twos because Middleton is playing incredibly well. His offense has been off the charts. He's like shooting, I think, 44% from three so far in the playoffs. And that's as like a oftentimes primary option. Like this isn't a Danny Green 44% where you're like standing in the corner and just knocking down open shots. This is like an off the dribble against other teams' best players. And Siakam got washed out a little bit in that series because of an elite rim protector. And the Bucks have that too in Giannis, where it's a guy that can hang around the paint and come over as a help defender. And how Siakam adjusts to this series very early and whether he can provide Kawhi Leonard with that secondary scoring, that's going to be the X factor in this series to me. Is like, how do Middleton and Siakam line up with one another? And yeah, the Arden thing, like hit open shots because you know the Bucks are going to have them. It's going to be such a different look for the Raptors in terms of an offense they're playing against, right? Like Philly and even to a certain extent Orlando as well. Like they got into the half court and they tried to run pick and rolls and find post ups. Like they played slow. Yeah, this Mil- is fast. Milwaukee's, it's going to be a track meet at times, man. And the Raptors will look their best in transition too. So that maybe that plays to their advantages as well. But you look at like the deep defensive effort that the Raptors put in like over the course of this series but in game seven especially against Philly mm-hmm. you can't do that against a team like the Bucks, who are just running all day and who are as versatile as they are and as fluid as they are they aren't gonna you know bring the ball up slowly and get into the half court and try to run like pick and rolls with Embiid and Redick like that's, that's not the, the look that you're looking at so it's a totally different look so I, like I'm kind of reserving opinion until I see how that first game looks right because I just haven't seen the Raptors even play against a team like this in so long. I think the Raptors' defense has been their identity all season. I've made it over and over and over again that this is a defense-first team. In fact, like we can make all we want about the rim bounce, but really what won the Raptors that game was three straight defensive possessions where Philly couldn't get a shot. Yeah. Three straight shot clock winding down, buzzer, Lowry gets the one steal that negates one. But really that defense in the half court, the way that it can clamp down, even against a team where like Philly isn't a team of scrubs. That's what people consider the five most talented starting lineup yeah. in the NBA, or at least in the Eastern Conference. And they couldn't get a freaking shot out of a timeout, three straight possessions against that group. It was suffocating defense. That's, that's yeah. incredible. That's an edge that if you're looking forward, it's like, okay, Toronto should actually have the best defense moving forward. But how does it change now that they do have to defend a team that does not play a lot of half-court style? Can they slow down the Bucks? Because, yeah, man, I think this is the poison pill way for the Raptors to lose. They don't make those open shots. It's going to allow the Bucks to run. It's going to allow the Bucks to get out in transition, hit open shooters, get Giannis Antetokounmpo dunks, and then they're screwed. They hit open <laughs> shots. They can slow it down, and they can play the style they want to play. And it reminds me of a fight. It's like, who is going to be able to establish their style? Who's going to be able to establish like the style of fight that they want it to be? Is it going to be body shots, and is it going to be slugged, and is it going to be slow down? Because that's the Raptors. Is it going to be one where the Bucks have the bigger advantage by just turning it into a slugfest and making it go shot for shot? Because that's going to be them with their three-point shooting and their depth and their ability to run. So I just looked at this is a Styles make the fight situation. And if the Raptors can make their shots, slow it down, I like them. If it's sped up, I don't like them beating the Bucks at their own game. So when Pop was scheming for Steven Nash and the Suns, they kind of decided, listen, we're going to make Steve Nash a score. Stay mm-hmm. home. And everybody else... It's not in his nature to be a volume shooter. And so we're just going to make him try and beat us. And he's going to get his points, but he's not going to be able to do it alone. He's not Kobe. He doesn't have that mentality. Buttonholzer's from that cloth. You'd think you'd apply a similar logic to Kawhi, except we actually don't want to stay home on the Raptors shooters because they haven't been hitting shots. And I think that's the difference in the series. I almost think that Nick Nurse will apply that same logic. Listen, 
we're going to guard Giannis one-on-one. If Giannis wants to take 50 shots, go ahead, because none of them are going to be three-point shots. We'll guard Giannis one-on-one with some version of Kawhi and a little bit of Danny Green and maybe a little bit of Norm Powell if he happens to be playing in the series. We're going to stay home on all those three-point shooters and not let them get off, and we'll see where we are. The crazy thing to me about where we are in this postseason is we're talking about the Raptors being a team that's playing big, playing great defense, played by Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse was supposed to be the offensive guru that's playing small, that's playing fast, that has this cool practice regimen where he's taking away points if you take an 18-footer, but he's giving you more points if you take a corner three. And this is where we are, where we're talking about the Raptors being the bad boy Pistons all of a sudden, and them winning hinges on playing big and getting stops. The other fascinating thing for me is everyone thinks, okay, man, Masai, taking a deep breath. Thank you, Kawhi. You've justified my big off-season decision in trading the loved DeRozan for you. Not so fast, my friends, because the first person he interviewed for the head coaching job was... Oh, yeah. Bud. And now he faces him. And listen, they never offered Coach Bud a contract, but he also was happy to take the Milwaukee Bucks job and coach Giannis. So now, whether real or fake, the perception is, well, you got the internal guy you got the second choice in Nick Nurse, and these two guys face off for the right to take their franchise to the finals. I think, Bud, they, they get the clear coaching advantage. He's a much more proven coach. He's coach of the year this year, like without a doubt. That's actually going to be a layup. I mean, finals gone to is 0-0. I think that Nurse is, yeah, again, LeBron. <laughs> it's the Game 7 stat. It's LeBron. I think Nurse is kind of David Bladish where they hired him with this idea of what they were going to be before the roster was complete. He, what? David Blatt, he calls game-winning plays for LeBron to inbound the ball yeah. and not take the shot? Yeah, what what, I, what I'm David saying, Blatt. No, what I'm saying is, is that they hired the coach before they had the player. They went and made the decision to get Nick Nurse. That offense that you talk about, it's hard. That's what, going back to Arden, it's the chicken and egg thing. You're like, is it Kawhi that's stopping them from doing the things that Nurse wants them to do? Or is Nurse not drawing things up that are effective enough that Kawhi Leonard trusts? And so far, I think it's a little bit of both because Nurse has not impressed me in the postseason. In fact, he's still one of the bigger wild cards when it comes to the Raptors. And I know the open shot making players play, blah, blah, blah. Like that's the one thing. But he was late to make his adjustments. He was late to figure out the Gasol thing. Like when did he start matching Gasol with Embiid? Game five? And yeah. even then, he went away from it in game six, and it really hurt them when Boban came in and he decided to try to leave Gasol out there. And he got counterpunched. I think that the Danny Green thing last night was very interesting. Like, your team can't hit a shot. You can't call a timeout and draw something up for Danny Green. You can't get him moving in some different actions to try to free him up for a shot. Like, where is that? Where's those offensive calls that Donovan's talking about? Where's that offense? Where's that free-flowing movement that gets open guys' looks? So I view the Bucks and I watch what they've done this season and the step they've taken. And, yeah, I trust Budenholzer in this one because the big thing for the Sixers was everyone didn't like Brett Brown. They're like, ah, oh, Brett Brown's a bad coach. Brett Brown. I thought Brett Brown outcoached. Nick Nurse in that series for most of that series. Mm. Again, Nick Nurse's biggest move was one that was made out of necessity. Biggest possession of the game. You have Jimmy Butler as a defender and he's not guarding Kawhi. Uh, But Jimmy Butler also turned his ankle and the best defender on Kawhi Leonard all series had been Ben Simmons. They did trap him in the corner. Like, I think you're pretty happy with the defense you got on that Kawhi shot. Ben Simmons also had five fouls. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, All right. But that's all. It's just that I look at the series and one of the things that worries me is the nurse versus Bud thing. And it's like, what adjustments can you make? And are you going to be able to make them quickly enough to keep up with Bud? Well, lastly, as we get out of here, from each of you, prediction and who's the most important Raptor. I'll start with you, Danielle. Oh. No pressure. Yeah, seriously. I see the Bucks advancing. I said this the last time we did this preview thing that I saw the Bucks advancing out of the Eastern Conference final. 
which brought a lot of haters. So I probably should have changed my tune this time around. But that's the reality I, I see coming. Say, good for you, coming up. real journalist. Because guess what? Yeah, I'm playing to the hometown pop. I'm going rap. You're going rap. Yeah. That's smart it, of you. Raps in six. It brings a lot of haters, but it begs another question: If they lose to the team that's been the best team in basketball the entire season, that's the number one seed in the conference mm-hmm. in the league. Is that a failure? Like to me, they're playing with it house money be. at this point. Mm-hmm. Anything that happens in this series is a success. Is money. That's just me. And the most, let's, let's see you later in the series. The let's most important player remains I already Kawhi. said on this podcast, they could get swept and I'm fine. Okay. We'll see. See if you feel that way. Okay. Raps in seven. Yeah. It's the Kyle Lowry series. Okay. That's what's going to be. Yeah. Kawhi's going to do Kawhi things. Yeah, he'll be fine. Giannis is going to do Giannis things. And I think that like JD makes some really good points about the offense. It's going to be a totally different series than we've seen to this point. So like any kind of recency bias, anything you've seen over the last, what the Raptors have now played seven plus five, so 12 games, mm-hmm. throw it out. Forget it. It's going to be Not totally Kawhi, different. You you keep doing good things. <laughs> Forget Please. that. But it's going to be a totally different yeah. look, totally different style of basketball. I think this is the like Kyle Lowry over everything series. A couple of weeks ago, I came in here and I said, I'm tired of holding people's hands with Kyle Lowry. <laughs> right? When he goes Agreed. out and he goes over and he, he doesn't have a bunch of points. He doesn't have an impressive box score total, but he's still plus 800 in a game his team loses or whatever. I'm tired by, of holding people's hands. This is where... It's you, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> this is where Kyle Lowry shows why he makes the money that he does and why he is the best Toronto Raptor there has ever been. Well, speaking of the money that he does, he made 500K last night, mm-hmm. bonus for getting to the conference finals. Good he can still he make that. another 1.4 mil if they continue in advance. That's why he sprinted so quickly to Kawhi Leonard to get in that scrum. He wasn't thinking of his romance with Damar at that point. He was thinking about now that 500K. I, know, I don't know if you watch back again. Watch Kyle's wife on the baseline. Oh, that's right. Because yeah. she must have known that bonus money was yes, just triggered. Because that is, yeah, yeah. You go back and watch her because she is electric mm-hmm. on the baseline. Kyle was grabbing that ball for himself. He ran to the back and wrote 500 on it. 100%. 100%. <laughs> like, 100%. Those bounces like cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. So wait, DJ, then yeah. who do you have coming out of this series? Raps in seven, and the player for me that's the most important in this series is Pascal Siakam. He was great against the Bucs throughout the regular season, 24 points, five boards a night. And when we talk about the matchups, who's guarding him in this series? Are you guarding him with Middleton? Are you guarding him with Brogdon? No, you're guarding him with Miritich? If you're guarding him with Giannis, that means Giannis isn't guarding Kawhi, and I'll take that. So I think Pascal Siakam is the guy who really, really can make an imprint on the series. I think the Raps win in seven, but that would actually mean the Raps win a game seven on the road, on the road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. which is, I suppose, why you said JD Raps in six where they win right, at home. Right, that is correct. I do think it'll go seven. I do think it'll be fun, but I also do think that regardless of outcome, after bounce number four going in, that you're playing with house money at this point. This has been fun, fellas. And the lady. Mm-hmm.